I did. I did. Yep. That was um, that was a courtesy to. Uh, I know. was going to say, there's a woman. There's a woman behind this face. <laughs> Does she have sensitive skin? Yes. Aww. Very much so. In fact, uh, one of her uh, coworkers noticed. <laughs> That's my mother because I'm I'm like that too, and my mother would like be like, "You've been rubbing against someone's face again." I'm like, "Yes," I'm like, like, like she thinks I'm a cat. I'm not making out with someone. I'm just going up and like rubbing up against people. That's yeah. going well. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. In fact, uh, she was over last night, so. Cool. Yeah. Lots of fun. Cool. If we could be done by eleven, that would be awesome. Sure. Sure. Um, we'll- and and I don't and I actually. Because this is like the easiest part to read, I don't know uh-huh. that it's going to be as lengthy for me. Oh, that's okay. I mean, we don't have yeah. to always go an hour for these things. I mean, and plus, we, you know, we might, uh, you know, when I get into editing the other stuff, we might trim them down just because. Oh, I'm sure. You know, it might take some stuff out and try and, and piece together something, you know, like right now, this whole section might be gone when we get to the uh, final version, but. Oh, you mean you're not, we're not going to talk about your, your. Your clean face on your podcast? Well, we might. I mean, by then it might be very well developed, and the uh, the your thing face with, or your relationship? Uh, both. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. This one, you know, surprisingly, despite the ease of of this section as far as as reading. So okay, so let's let me back up here for a second. I have to get my onto the right page on my on my notes here because. Despite the ease of, of reading this, I still kind of struggled to find the time I was otherwise occupied, even though we had three weeks. <laughs> I, well, I, um, because we had three weeks, I was a little lax. Uh-huh. And I did, you know, and I still tried to do this because I've read a little bit into the next section, like whatever, 15 pages. And again, I tried reading it on the bus. Right. And I don't know what happens on the bus because the next section is actually not that difficult so far. Oh, no. That was... And I'm like, wow, I'm I'm just dumb on the bus. That's I can't. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I'm I'm dumb at work at lunch. It's just something about it that, yeah. So okay, so the sections we're on this time, we are we are all, pretty much everything we read was in Circe. Yes, and which then is a, just little a, point, a little bit, a little bit of Eumus uh, or EU, whatever. I'm gonna let you. E-U-M-A-E-U-S. Yeah. Eumius something and which okay so yeah that was the first thing i noticed was that after the struggle of the first few of the first big chunk of the book you know everything from telemachus down to oxen of the sun i was struggling at times Mm -hmm. right and i was still struggling a bit in circe to kind of discern between the hallucinations and the real-time events I assumed most of it was a hallucination. I, I assumed everything up to Stephen getting punched in the face yeah. was a hallucination. And it's interesting because somewhere, was it in this section? Yeah. Towards the end, when it gets into like the next chapter, it says something to the extent of Bloom, as always, is in his right mind. I forget what uh, it is. And I'm just like, uh, are we sure about that? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, th- I assumed, you know, just from the beginning of Cersei that everything was was bloom in this, you know, hallucination. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe that was a, a miss, you know, from the notes that I had, I had read and, and stuff like this to kind of keep a handle, you know, to hopefully set my brain right so that I knew kind of what to expect. 
Yeah. I think they, I think they, using the word hallucination was a mistake. Right. Cause that's what you, that's the, like the wording you got in, where yeah, did you get that wording? Cause I remember oh, we talked the, about this last from, night. Yeah. From the spark notes. Okay. Right. But it's not, it's, I mean, it, I take it's, it as like him imagining. Right. Right. The, the, I, I would think that, I mean, and if we're, if we're splitting hairs, what the, the distinction is, is does he have control over this thing right. that's happening, right? That's, that would be the difference in theory between a hallucination and, and his fantasy. Right. And the yeah. thing was, is that I also assumed it was all bloom. The entire cer- section of Cersei was all bloom, but it's not. It flips over to, to Stephen Dedalus. It, but his fantasy? Right. Right. The, the oh, that section, I did not catch. Yeah, the section switches consciousness from Bloom to Stephen Dedalus and back to Bloom and Stephen Dedalus. It flops around after you mm-hmm. get so. So the section starts with with Bloom, you know, popping into the uh, the butcher shop to buy some buy a late night snack and then feeling guilty about it and feeding it to the dogs, and then he begins to do his fantasizing. Mm-hmm. You know, because he's he's in the. Uh, in the red light district, the night town part, you know, with all the prostitutes and the hookers and the bars and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And he's feeling guilty and ashamed. And he, you know, the whole thing about him not wanting to go home because he thinks his wife is getting ready to cheat on him. So, so he's having these, you know, guilty fantasies. And then at some point it switches over to Stephen, who, when, when Bloom finds Stephen, we, we then get. But we're pretty far into it before Stephen comes in. Right, right. It's almost at the end. Yep. And then yeah. it starts showing because that hallucination that about the dead mother that comes out of the mm-hmm. pianola and talks to Stephen, oh, that's yeah, Stephen's yeah, mother. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. right. Yeah. So Bloom wouldn't be having that. that yeah. w- and that would actually be a drunken hallucination on, on Stephen's part. Yes. So it is. So I think Bloom is having little fantasies and things to occupy his mind as he's standing there feeling guilty in the red light district. But Stephen Dedalus is drunk and, and, and hallucinating. Yeah. So yeah, I've had a hard time telling the difference between the, the the fantasies and hallucinations and the real time events in that section, and yet it was still the easiest for me oh, to, to yeah. read and get through until yeah. suddenly we got to the beginning of the of the next section, which I don't know if it's time the time that we've been reading and the fact that it's finally starting to maybe click in, mm-hmm. but that was the easiest prose for me to follow. It was, um, except when I got on the bus and then I lost it. But, um, (laughs) so I'm still not quite sure where they are because they're talking to a sailor, but I'm pretty sure they're not on a boat. They're in a cafe. Right. Yeah. That's Uh, the, the, that's the cabman's um, or the cabbie's little thing. What did they call it in the, in the notes? There's like a shelter. They keep talking about a shelter. Yeah. You're looking for it? Yeah. That's the, uh, what the hell does it call it? It's some, something damn specific. What the the cafe? Yeah, it's well, it's something specifically for for cab drivers. Oh, I didn't catch the cab driver. Yeah, because when they leave the bar after they leave the bar with the hookers, and Stephen runs into the two soldiers and gets punched. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's sorry. they have a thing that's called skin the something. That I think that was actually a character. Yeah. Oh, the cabman's shelter. The ca- it's the cab driver's it's, it's shelter. It's a shelter. Yeah, it's a, it it's shelter. a shelter okay. that they call it. It's for, for the cab drivers at night. Oh, okay. So they get some, uh, you know, normal, some coffee and some food into Stephen, who's yes. drunk. Shit-faced. And... Shit-faced, yeah. yeah. Uh, good grief. But 
my brain's not all there today. <laughs> but um, but back to Cersei. Right. So that's like the overwhelming majority. Right. I was in red pen. Red pen. See, I went from black pen to red pen. Now uh-huh. I'm in blue pen. Um, so. Okay, uh, that was a bizarre, bizarre fucking section. Well, and also, I'm, as I'm reading through it, I'm like, perhaps this is why they thought it was violating obscenity laws. Because right. there's, there, you know, I think there's some scat in there. There's right. a, there's some. There's some. There's uh, no bestiality. There is definitely bondage some, and right. spanking. And there's and, some gender crossing, some some gender switching. Yeah, like that's pretty, uh, you know, f- especially for the time. Right. It's pretty, and it's interesting because I don't remember people, as I read about it, I don't remember people mentioning it, but I would have thought that had been pretty, pretty controversial. Right. The uh, the obscenity trial was way back around, was around, yeah, it was Sirens. Or no, Nausicaa was the section that was the, that led to the obscenity trial. So the book was, that was because of the masturbating, right? So the book was banned in the states, bef- and it was, and it had been banned in in England before Circe had ever been published. So Circe was mm-hmm, only mm-hmm. ever read after the book was published, and it was already banned. And I, that was the thing that I, as I was reading through the, that section, I thought to myself, man, you know. 19 whatever when it got banned people must have really been prudish to have thought that the uh, the masturbation scene was was obscene because I it was like what that barely noticed it it was kind of alluded to it didn't actually yeah you know really graphically you know the whole climax of the masturbation scene was was funneled through the fireworks and everything that was going yeah. on and yet you get into this play section in Cersei you know and there's that and it's it's blunt you know, it's there's, pretty blunt. Yeah, there's there's all kind of there's talk of cocks and and where's that one section? Oh my god, let's see where was it? You also have a guy who's hung. Yeah, with, you have with a guy the who's erection, which right. was alluded to earlier. Not that that's nearly. Then there's a whole thing talking about uh, the smell of a woman's vulva. Uh huh. Well, there's that compared to mayonnaise or something. I don't know right. what's going on there. Then there was that section while. Um, while Bloom was having his little fantasy where he was changed into a woman and and Bello, who was uh the the madam who was transformed into a man, they have that I wanna mm-hmm. where's that section? I was I was reading that at work and, and damn near choked on my lunch. I know I marked it after somewhere. Um Oh, it's after the virag part or the virag part. Yeah, there's. It looks like there might be a rape scene in there at one point. Oh, is there? Who is that? Um, oh, it's just after. It's here we go. So we're it's like five thirty. Five nineteen. The rape scene. Well, yeah, one of them. What? There's probably a couple of them. Woman undoing. It's on page five nineteen, bottom yeah. of the page. Virag is. You know, going on a on a soliloquy there. Woman undoing with sweet pooter, her belt of rush rope offers her all moist yoni to man's lingam. Short time after man presents woman with pieces of jungle meat. Woman shows joy and covers herself with feather skins. Man loves her yoni fiercely with big lingam. <laughs> That's hot. Yeah. Is that a rape scene? 
Um, then giddy woman will run about. Strong man grasp woman's wrist. Woman squeals, bites, spucks. Man now fierce, angry, strikes woman's fat mm. um, yadgana. Yadgana. Right. Oh, that, that was. I thought was that a rape? Yeah. Then there was. Yeah, after after Bloom transforms into a woman and and the the prostitute transver, transforms into a man. Cross dressing and fetish fantasy. Yeah, there we go. That's your comments. Oh, here we are. Five thirty nine. Bello has this long um, soliloquy yeah. in the middle of the page there, and down at the end of it, you know, Bello is describing Bloom as a, as a woman prostitute, you know, trying to sell her. Mm-hmm. Push her out there, and down at the bottom, he bears his arm and plunges the elbow deep in Bloom's Blue's vulva. vulva. Yeah, I was like, "What?" <laughs> and, yeah. and I was like, "And the I judge thought that. jerking off on the beach was obscene." <laughs> you know, <laughs> what the hell? So that was the probably the most. It's just that whole flipping around with that. The gender switching was uh, was I thought was pretty striking, particularly looking uh-huh. back almost a century later at it. And of course, you know the magic potato, or not the magic, the lucky potato. The potato came back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the prostitute takes it from Bloom, and he begs for it back. That's weird. And then, like the the language gets pretty Shakespearean after a while. Yeah. Well, they actually um, have Shakespeare show up as a character yes. at one point. Yeah, yeah. Which I thought was interesting. And I think actually, don't they do something to him too? I I took notes this morning. Yeah. Um, that is- does he turn into a woman, or he turns into a? Let's see. Oh yeah, did you miss the? Uh, did you catch the talking cow? <laughs> oh god, I, I probably. I mean, I don't know. Everything talks in this. The fans talk. Right. Concepts talk. The um, waterfall people, talks. People There's... take their heads off, and the heads talk. I mean, yeah. what, what did not talk in this thing? <laughs> um, where was Shakespeare? And it sounds like at one point around page five. 51 the way the description goes is that i think bloom has an enema fetish oh yeah there is a there's a something there yeah which i thought was kind of weird well 551 yeah the nymph uh, we immortals as you saw today have not such a place and no hair there either we are stone cold and pure we eat electric light she arches her body in lascivious crispation placing her forefinger in her mouth spoke to me Heard from behind, how then could you? And then Bloom, pacing the heather abjectly. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, I have been a perfect pig. Enemas, too. I have administered one-third of a pint of, you know, the whole recipe yeah. there. In case you want to do it at home. Right. <laughs> uh, I have paid homage on that living altar where the back changes name. But there's also another poop section <laughs> where he, where they talk about him having done something in an outhouse or oh yeah or i think he was spying on on molly or somebody or maybe that was the uh, the housemaid that he was supposed to have uh, propositioned early on yeah there's something where he it seems i think it's in a section where he seems to be kind of like confessing his sins or something right right just before he gets changed into a woman i think I don't know. There was something about this section that, you know, I think because of its its rather easy reading mm-hmm. finally unlocked something for me as far as understanding 
the pattern of Joyce's language. Because, mm. like I said, you know, I, you know, except for when you were on the bus, when we finally get to that next section that starts with, you know, preparatory to anything else, Mr. Bloom brushed off the greater bulk of the shavings and handed Stephen the hat and ash plant and bucked him up generally in orthodox Samaritan fashion, which he very badly needed. And I was like, wow, that made sense. <laughs> yeah, I knew that whole thing. <laughs> well, that made sense. Compared to the rest of the, you know, book before the, uh, the play section, I was like, oh, oh, I think we can get through the end of this book pretty easily. Well, it's going to go into like a surrealist orgasm i think at the end for like the last 40 pages so right and there's the musical notes section that's coming up oh right yeah i just really like white space that was another thing i mean just visually this was just a lot easier to get through yeah <laughs> so let me see. i'm just trying to get through like my notes and see so there's henry so a couple things that stood out to me there's henry flower uh -huh. which is apparently Bloom's ali alias when he writes to Martha Clifford. Right. Um, so yes. I know this because I read notes on it, but I don't know – I don't remember too much of that correspondence actually being – and not being mentioned for quite some time either. I remember that being more towards the beginning yeah, of the book. Yeah, it was briefly mentioned early on in the book when he uh, leaves the house in the morning and gets the mail while he's getting the mm -hmm. kidney and breakfast. He gets the letter and it's mm -hmm. and he tucks it away and, and then it's not mentioned really again until – the play section. Let me see. I kind of thought that the nymph, I don't know why, but I'm just going through like, cause this more yesterday, this week and this morning, I kind of went through what I wrote in the book and kind of wrote mm -hmm. it all down. So I don't know what I was thinking at the time I wrote that. But to me at the time, the nymph symbolized like all the people bloom wanted to screw. Yeah, I could see that. Um, And it's just after the nymph appears when you get Staggering Bob. Staggering Bob is the talking cow. Oh, okay. I did not catch Staggering Bob. Yeah. Staggering Bob, cows, a white pole calf, thrusts a ruminating head with humid nostrils through the foliage. Staggering Bob, me, me see. Is a calf, can a calf be a bull? Yeah. Or does it have to be a cow? It's just Cows calf. are female. Okay. Well, it's a, um, it could be either one. It's it's a it's an immature bovine. Okay. <laughs> Um, then there's the whole, Sorry, that's just, for some you reason... didn't say, that's not in the book, that's you. No, that's just me. And I just, it just struck me as funny for a moment. I don't know why. Immature bovine. <laughs> okay. So the, the nymph represents all the, uh, women. Uh, that, that, that was my take. I don't know if that's accurate, but that's what it seemed. And I don't, I can't tell you now why, why I thought that when I read it. There was the the Dublin's burning thing. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot about the king and the military, the privates coming in. Yep. Yeah, that was the thing is that when you get to the end of the section, it really, really clarified up. It really became less fantastical and bizarre. Yeah, yeah. The, the dead son appears. Mm -hmm. And that's where I got as far as that section. And then in the next section, you know, I, I, so I know that like Buck and Steven are going to kick Bloom out. And somewhere in there, Bloom says, I have no place to sleep myself. And I was trying to figure out at what point he gets kicked out of the house. Because I think that doesn't happen until the end, I think. Or he's hanging out with this guy who kicked him out already. Like, did that happen yet? Bloom that they or, said he or Daedalus? 
Oh, you're right. Steven gets kicked out of the right, house. Right, right. And that's oh, the whole right, right, section right. at the end right, of the right, play right. where he it's has the f- has the fight with Mulligan and Haynes, Thank and they yes. and they abandon him, and that's how he ends up getting in the fight with the uh, with the soldiers. Oh, okay. So that happened already. Right, and oh, yeah, yeah. Bloom's walking him to the cabman's shelter, just out of I guess generosity because he doesn't have any. He's not going home yet because he doesn't want to catch his wife, you know, in the act. And Daedalus is just wandering around because they talk about, you know, Stephen not knowing where his family lives anymore because they've moved since he was kicked out of the family's house. When was that? When is that mentioned? It's uh, just in the beginning there of, of this, of the um, prose section that we started, but haven't finished That, that might be when three. I was on the bus. You know what's happening. Yeah. It's after they run across, what's his name? Um... They talk about how he's a jokily named Lord something. Lord oh, it's uh, – yeah, the guy who wants to Lord John Corley, the one who wants to get money from him. Right, right. Yeah, and, and that's when Stephen you know, says, like, I don't even have a place to stay. OK, so it's Stephen who says that. Yeah. Not Bloom. OK. Ah, uh, God, Corley replied, sure, I couldn't teach in a school, man. I was never one of your bright ones, he added with a half laugh. Got stuck twice in the junior – at the Christian Boulders, I have no place to sleep myself, Stephen informed him. Corley, at the first go-off, was inclined to suspect it was something to do with Stephen being fired out of his digs for bringing in a bloody tart off the street. <laughs> Why did I... Th- I mean, it's very clear that it's him. Why did I think it was Bloom? It's probably a bus thing. <laughs> it's easy to get turned around in here sometimes, let me tell you. I wouldn't worry about it. I wasn't on the bus yet, I don't think. Anyway, all right. All right. That was very clear. Um, yeah. I'm so actually, like, oh, go ahead. go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, the this, I was pretty blown away by, the, like, the level of surrealness. And oh. I guess we knew. Yeah. Like, they talk about it. But um, it gets really bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, popes and and people in costumes and talking cows and talking waterfalls and dead people rising from the grave. Yeah. Yeah, what were you gonna say? No, I was, I said I, I was just gonna mention that you know I'm finally at a point where I'm kind of starting to enjoy the read now that we're in this new section. And now that we know we don't have like 700 pages in front of us. Yeah, well, that might be it. Part of it. Yeah, <laughs> there's light at the end of this particular tunnel. Sure. But I've also I've also noticed, you know, as I've been working on a on a new project that because of the struggles with the language in here, mm-hmm. it's kind of loosened me up mm. in my own writing. Yeah, um, I think you mentioned that last time too. Yeah, it's kind of opened up a little little window that uh, that I had let go closed after leaving Colorado and after getting out of graduate school. Mm-hmm. I would like to get my hands on some more linguistically challenging stuff, but not quite as challenging as this. Something's where it's easier to, uh, you know, discern the connection sometimes between mm-hmm. one word and the next. Because a lot of this, even even in that, in some of the dialogue in our in our hallucination fantasy section here, it just it just still seemed occasionally like word salad. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful for that part of it. That little bit of a you know, monkey wrench into that, you know, rigidity of language that I'd kind of slipped mm-hmm. into, which is always a, a weak spot 
for me as a writer because of, you know, my, my early, early influences before I got to a graduate school. They were, they were more concrete, your early influences, you're saying? Yeah. Hemingway and Raymond Carver and, you know, oh, yeah. the, the minimalist, you know, linear yeah, journalistic type. Of, yeah. Yeah. So it's always been a struggle for me to get away from those and not fall into that as a writer. Because when I do, my writing just gets horrible. It's a little bit too pedantic and, you know, process-oriented. You get up, you walk across the room, you put this down, you pick this up, you know. I really like Raymond Carver. There's, like, a lot of, um, there's a lot of emotion in his simplicity. Yeah, there is. Like, there is. Like, he, like his starkness is pregnant with, yes. like. And and I don't know. I, I haven't read. I don't know what I've read of Hemingway. I think I was like in high school. Right. Um, and Hemingway didn't give a shit about what he was writing. I don't know, yeah. but. And Hemingway's the same way. There's a lot. There's a lot there underneath it. But for some reason, when I write that directly, I can't seem to get far enough beneath the surface. Mm. There's. I guess there's something about it that. By being that um, plain and direct, it provides me a, a, a shield and a barrier that I can't get past into the actual emotions of, and thoughts mm. of the character. And being perhaps a little florid and melodramatic and, and what was it somebody said? You? Yeah. You're melodramatic? No, by, by doing oh. that in the, in the language, it allows me to, you know, get into that. Because I think we talked. I think I talked about this once in a in a workshop. Was that for me to get to a point that I want to get to? I can't really attack it head on. I have to sneak up to it and find the uh, the back door, so to speak, and, and mm-hmm. slip in underneath it. And and you know, freeing up the language, you know, trying to be poetic helps me do that. It picks that lock, I guess. Boy, I'm mixing metaphors like crazy. <laughs> So what have what so before we get to our last section, what has what have you noticed? Have you noticed this change anything in in you as a writer or as a reader? You know, I'm like in a really weird place right now with my writing because I'm 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 dealing with like dueling projects, which is like I have these three writing projects that are travel projects. Mm-hmm. And I finished one, I'm almost finished with a second, and I'm creating a third that's actually from travel I did in 2007. And every time I go away and I'm probably going to go away again in a few months, I write, which is good. It's like play. It's enjoyable. And it's, right. it's, it's e- easy in that it's a, it's an easy, it's a, it's a more kind of intuitive way to, for me to write. Um, but there's this like large gender project that's been there and that's going to be like, I need to figure out what that is. Mm-hmm. And I think at this point it's doing like writing marathons, which is just, <laughs> Which is really, I read a bunch of books and whatever, and it's just basically locking myself in a room somewhere and just doing like the straight, like three hour go. And, right. you know, and, and you write that, I don't know if you do this, but you write that long and you find like three sentences that actually lead you someplace. Right. And, and that's, and, and that's kind of just the way it is. But I keep having these travel projects because I keep traveling and then <laughs> it's, it's kind of weird. So right now what I'm doing is I'm, um, finish sort of finishing up a project I did in Prague, which these are all supposed to be chapbook length and and Uh the gender project would be, um, 
would be full length. And, and so I have like, I'm not like writing right now. I am right. editing, I, I, which is kind of what I do perpetually. Um, <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> it's like this much writing and this much editing. My next writing project, if I go away, I'm just like, you know what I should just do? I should just go there, there and write pro- poems. Mm-hmm. And, and actually create the project while I'm there, which is which is opposed to what I usually do, which is go there, collect language, like pages and pages and pages of language, and bring it back and right. then shape it, which of course takes a lot longer. But yeah. I, I generally don't sit down and write poems. Mm-hmm. Like I don't write that way anymore. So, um, so that would be interesting. But I really do, I think, and I don't know, I probably have some kind of like a, attraction, you know, approach avoidance about this project because it's big and it's kind of one of those things where like I, I think about it so much it stops making sense. And <laughs> there's something I want to do with the form that will be kind of reflective of the content or the reflective of the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't quite gotten there yet. And, I, and my guess is um, I'm going to get there by just writing and writing and writing and see right. kind of what that, I, you know, I, I think it's just a matter of kind of being in the space and, and letting my process kind of reveal itself mm. or whatever, or the, the aliens or the gnomes or the, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever your, your metaphor is for the, uh, the artist mind. Right. The, the muse, the, uh, the mu- oh, my muse, the, the, you know, the, the, uh, the transitional, uh, not the transitional, the, uh, the radio, the cosmic radio, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I haven't noticed anything, but I feel like I don't know. The, I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, like the the like I feel like there's there's, and it's not even that coming to mind. But like I was like, what just came to mind just now was like Lord of the Flies and the pig talking to I think Simon, right, <laughs> right. So there were these moments where like in this section. Like shit just starts talking to other shit, right? Like, right. Other, like people just start talking and they're doing weird things and they're doing things that are physically impossible. Right. And and I and I feel like I've read probably a number of things that kind of touch on that that bizarreness. Like uh-huh. another, I I, I want to say like Nick Cave. Like I don't remember his book, but I remember thinking it was beautiful. And and like there's like a there's a darkness to it. Right like dead things talking and like, mm-hmm. like this is not a safe place to live. Right. The, this section. Like if you get here, your shit might get a little fucked up. You know, like, <laughs> like this is, you know, you're not coming here to buy some milk and get back out. Right. Right. And, and, and so there is, there is a darkness and like a sinister. Yeah. It's, it's like a Terry Gilliam movie. Who? A Terry Gilliam movie. Like, a- um, Barcelona? Uh, Time Bandits. I think Barcelona was Terry Gilliam. Um, The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. um, I haven't seen any of these. uh, He's from Monty Python. Right, right. Oh, you've probably seen Time Bandits. Yeah, it it, it kind of is. I've never seen Time Bandits. Um, um, Oh, you haven't seen... I can't wait. I'm so excited. You get to see Time Bandits for the first time sometime in your life. That's so fucking cool. Time Bandits. You got to see Time Bandits. Okay. okay. <laughs> oh, I saw that when I kid when I was a kid and it blew my fucking mind as uh. a kid and I still love it. I've got a sort of semi-pirated copy on my computer and I can Wow. I love Terry that Gilliam. Movie. Yeah. He's been trying to do a uh, um Brazil, not Barcelona, Brazil. Brazil. 
Yeah. And what else is Terry Young? The I'm looking, looking Imaginarium now. of Dr. Parnassus. Yeah, but he's he's got this very kind of dark, hallucinatory quality to his stuff. Jabberwocky, Time Bandits, yep. Brazil, The Adventures of Baron Munchauser, yes. The Fisher King, Twelve Monkeys, which I saw, Fisher uh-huh. King I saw, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which I fell asleep during, The Brothers Grimm, Tideland, The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, The Zero Theorem, and The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Yes, the, he's been trying to make The Man Who Killed Don Quixote for like 25 years. And they started filming back in the late 90s at one point, and the production just collapsed horrifically. Uh-huh. And there was a documentary that was made about it that was just fascinating to watch. You got to see some of the uh, footage, the excerpted footage from it. It was just am- am- amazing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, now that, yeah, that's, he's bizarre. It's funny. It's a little dark. You know, it's, it's always wet and weird. <laughs> the yeah. Stuff that he does. But yeah, Time Bandits. Oh man, you get to see that for the first time. That's going to be cool. <laughs> so who knows maybe i'll get to actually write sometime soon and uh of course i'm writing less these days because i'm too busy reading ulysses mm-hmm. and maybe it'll, it'll have jarred my my situation <laughs> <laughs> let's see oh yeah the documentary is called lost in la mancha so if you can find oh. that give that a look it's pretty interesting Oh, wow. It's in post-production. Oh, goody. It's going to be out soon. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, that was uh, Heath Ledger's last movie. Oh, shit. Wasn't that supposed to be bad? No, it's actually really, really good. Hmm. You know, I guess if you're, if, I'm sure some people think it's really bad. Maybe some film critics do, but if, if you're... If you like weird stuff, it's it's I really if I really did good. See that? Is there a daughter and a father? Um, I might have may. seen part of it. It's like a circus. Right, right. Doctor Panas theater troupe, and in the end, um, what happens is that Johnny Depp, Colin Farrell, and Jude Law. Um, I think I've seen this. They finish Heath Ledger's part. Yeah. You know, and which, which, you know, I think, I don't know if Gilliam altered the script or after Ledger's death to acquire this, but the story became, you know, as because it, it goes into this surreal alternate reality. And so the character that Ledger played, Tony, the whole idea becomes that he's, you know, switching faces and personalities throughout yes. the end of the movie. And that's how they explain Depp and Farrell and Law playing his his character. Which I thought was very moving as a as a uh, as a testament Homage. to Ledger, but yeah. also, you know, fascinating as far as the story goes. I think I saw this and I think I didn't like it. <laughs> like I don't remember I don't remember engaging with it that much. Yeah. Besides all the hot men. I think I engaged with Hot Man, but I don't think I engaged with the actual story. <laughs> I liked it, but I, I tend to like a lot of the stuff that that Gilliam does, just because I like I like those. I mean, I think that's probably why I like this section Cersei so much, even though I sometimes struggled with it. Is that it is that bizarre thing that I have a that I seem almost incapable of doing as a writer, but that. I guess there's something in that that liberty of imagination 
that I enjoy, that I respect, that I'm fascinated by. You know, so those weird surrealist stuff, I get a kick out of it, even though sometimes I probably don't really understand it as much as I think I do. Well, that's the thing is it, it seems very there. There, it. I mean, I don't know what his actual process was. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe he, maybe you know, maybe this is you know algebra, and he had some kind of you know he's doing some kind of ulipo thing. I don't know, but like it, <laughs> what it reads like is com- is completely unbridled. Uh-huh. It's like I'm going to get stupid. I'm just going to let myself get stupid. Right. Um. That, that there was a, a permission to mm-hmm. let it go where it was going to go. I mean, who knows what he scrapped from this? Right. You know, maybe right. he had vases talking to, you know, horses. I don't know. But <laughs> my have had all sorts of crazy shit in there. Right. Yeah. And I think this was probably before things were made illegal. So maybe he was on drugs when he did this. Was there anything in his biography that Joyce was... A drug no, user? No, I, I think his father was a big drinker, and he might have been a drinker. Yeah. But, um, yeah, maybe I need to drink more. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you are real close to wine country. That should be easy. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got, our, we've got about uh, 15 minutes before you have to take off. So you ready to power through this last bit? I am ready. Are we going to, we're going to just, do we want to um, do a, a follow up one after our last thing, or do we just want to include our, our summation in that last recording? Oh, God, two weeks do from I now? have to come up with a summation? Well, we, I mean, meaning, do we, meaning like a summation of my life post Ulysses or a summation of Ulysses? Both. Yeah. It's, because I think the former will be brief and the latter will be impossible. Okay, so we'll just so, we'll just uh, do the one more thing where we talk the last section and we'll discuss. Or, or I would say like let's do what we do, and if you know in the following weeks you or I are just like oh my god everything you know right. food tastes better and fucking <laughs> and I understand the joke every, now. Everybody, yeah. you know, I, I've, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm one with the universe. And I think right, right. we can definitely always find each other again in Skype and be like, yes, we have to <laughs> talk about how this changed our lives. This sounds like a plan then. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, sh- I'm going to hit the stop button here. All right. So that was good talk. Thanks. Dave. Okay.